Got your barber. Ladies, I know that you have your, your stylist who, who blow dries your hair just perfectly, combs it perfectly. You walk out like you're ready for a photo shoot, right? You feel confident. Maybe at school, a, a teacher perhaps once complimented a writing assignment. And all of a sudden, you felt a little bo- a boost of confidence about your writing skills. Or maybe you're having someone over the house for dinner. Or you will have someone over the house for dinner when things open up, right? And you're cooking that meal that you just know that you know that you know you always throw down. And you watch them take that fork and put it to their mouth, and you're just confident. Or maybe it's that sports team you played for or you do play for, and you got that player on your team when you know, like, man, no matter what goes on, we got this person on the squad. We're going to win this thing. It's how LeBron James feels like stepping on the court, and he's got the other people. He's like, I'm going to win because I got them with me. Right, right? Jordan stepped on. He was the one, but but LeBron has those around him. So it's that that confidence when when you step into a scenario. What gives you confidence? You see, the thing is, though, with each of these circumstances, the situations can change because your hair is going to grow out. Ladies, you're going to walk out in the summertime and it's humid. You might get a teacher who doesn't like your work. You forgot an ingredient in the food. That athlete has a bad game. And confidence can come, but it also can go just as quickly. What do we do when we're searching for confidence? Or better yet, what do we do when we're searching for assurance? Not the kind of assurance they hear for the moment, but the kind of thing that lasts beyond today that goes to tomorrow for all of eternity. Church, we got to really think through what is our confidence in life? Is it something that will remain? Is it in someone who will remain? You see, when our confidence is squarely placed on ourselves, we know how faulty we can be. And we also know when our confidence is placed in other people, we know how faulty they could be. What do we do when we're seeking for assurance? When we want ultimately that grand victory, that that eternal victory. So, you know, we here at the Brook talk about Jesus every week. And we talk about what life is like in him. We talk about what he has gone through to save us in order to give us confidence that lasts beyond today. Without Jesus, we live lives of anxious worry. Without Jesus, we live lives of people-pleasing or doubting God or questioning hope. Like, look, church, without Jesus, there is no ground for ultimate confidence and assurance. Today, I want you to know that God is for his children, and we can be confident in that. Let me put it this way. If you are God's child today, God is for you. God is for you. That's good news. And I think we'll get a little bit more of a resounding clap by the end of this sermon because we're going to find out what that means when we say God is for you. We're also going to see what it means when it says God is not for someone. You see, what does it mean if we are children of God that God is for us? How is God for us? What does that look like? Today, we're going to jump into the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 31 to 39, and we're going to see that we have reason for confidence if we are children of God, and I want us to see what that confidence is like. And if you are here today or you're watching online, 
and you have not ever placed your entire faith in Jesus, I want you to feel the weight of what we're talking about today. Because God is for his children, and he's not for those who are not his children. Romans 8, verses 31 through 39 is our passage. And if you can, would you please stand with me as we read God's word together, church? This is one of my favorite Bible passages to read in public because it is climactic. Let's see what it says in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, church, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. What does it say there? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him. Through him, church. Through who? Through him who loved us. For I am sure, confidence, assurance, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor heights nor depths nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Father, we pray that you would speak through me. With power, with passion, and persuasion, Lord, I pray your spirit would just use my feeble lips and this manuscript of a sermon, God, to bring truth that changes lives. Bring faith, bring repentance, bring strength and confidence today. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, church. Man, this passage preaches itself. I could just probably read it five more times and say amen and let you guys go home. But I want to make sure we understand what it's telling us. You see, Romans 8, 31 through 39 is the closing of a major section in the book of Romans. Even if you look at chapter 9, verse 1, you see very clearly a shift in argument takes place. It's a new topic that comes on the horizon. It goes chapters 9, 10, and 11. So Romans chapters 1 through 8 climax with today's passage. Everything in the book of Romans comes to this point. And I want to remind us what the book of Romans is, who it's for, what it's all about. It's ultimately actually a letter that was written. It's not a book that was written, but a personal letter written to a church, people who follow Jesus. It wasn't written for people who don't know Jesus, although, of course, it applies to people who don't know Jesus. But it was written to strengthen people who do know Jesus. The people in Rome, the Roman Christians, were Christians who were not living an easy life. Christianity was not an accepted religion in the Roman Empire at this time. They were viewed as outsiders. They were viewed as extremists. 
The Jews viewed them as compromisers, and the Romans viewed them as dangerous. Christians were not accepted easily in this culture. Like, y'all, we, we really need to understand this. This letter is written to people whose feet are to the fire. They're not just there in Rome. Remember, Rome is in Italy. They're not just there in Italy sipping cappuccinos, eating pasta, living their best life right now. They're in Italy with their lives at stake. What do you do? Where do you go when you need confidence when life is shaky? What do they need? You know what Paul does for them? He gives them Jesus. He preaches the good news of Jesus Christ to the Roman Christians. But I want you to understand this, church. This is, according to my calculations, the 373rd Sunday of the brook. 373 times we've done this, church, on Sundays, not declining our two services and other services. And according to my calculations, I'm about 99.9% sure that every single one of those services, the gospel of Jesus Christ was preached from this stage. But watch this, church. The gospel saves people who don't know Jesus and gives you forgiveness, gives you eternal life, adopts you into God's family. You become part of God's household, y'all. But why preach the gospel to people who know that message? Well, take the book of Romans. Paul preaches the gospel to people who've already surrendered their lives to Jesus because the good news of Jesus not only saves us from our sins, but sustains us in this world. It is what we need every day, every hour, every minute of our lives. We need to be reminded that God is for us, church. If you have yet to put your faith in Jesus today, I want you to know that God has given you an invitation today. His invitation is to turn away from your sin, turn away from the other things you trust in, and turn to Jesus. This is the passage coming to this climax. Throughout the book of Romans, we've seen from the opening chapters that there's a problem with all of humanity. Whether you have a religious background or a non-religious one, we are born in sin. And the only way we can get right with God is through faith in Jesus. When we do that, we can have peace with God. We are dead to our old self and a new self has come alive. We are no longer slaves to sin, but now slaves to God, who is a gracious, good, and merciful leader and Lord. But then in Romans 7, we're like, man, but why do I do the things I don't want to do if I've been saved? Well, like, well sin lingers. It lingers so bad that we, like Paul, can say, oh, wretched man, wretched woman, wretched youth, wretched child that I am, who will save me from this body of death? And Paul says in Romans chapter 7, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. So then chapter 8, verse 1, he can say, now therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God is for his children. So when we come to Romans chapter 8, verse 31, Paul says, what shall we say to these things? What are these things? Well, it's everything that has come before. All this good news that Jesus came to save people who are jacked up like you and me. What do we do? What do we say to these things? Like, what's our response to all of God's grace? Well, the next statement, Paul says it in question form. He says this. 
if God is for us, who can be against us? That's what we say to these things. In fact, in this passage, he rattles off seven rhetorical questions. These first two kind of let us understand that in light of all that God has done, what can we say? We can say this, that God is for you, child of God. God is for you. He is not against you. What should that do to you? It should cause you to get your chin up. God is for you, so keep your chin up. You know, children, when they are discouraged or down, they wear it on their sleeves, right? Literally, they're right here. Shoulders slumped, head down. We as adults are far better at pretending like we're better than we are. Kids wear it outwardly. We wear it inwardly. But what happens is when we lose our confidence in God, we begin to walk and live our lives with slumped shoulders and heads down. Maybe you feel yourself in this way today. Life has gotten so hard. Yes, you believe that Jesus has died for you, but you're losing confidence in God. Maybe you wouldn't even articulate it that way, but you're like, man, there's been way too many unanswered prayers. Life has been one bombshell after the other, and I'm losing heart right now. And within, your head is down. And what Paul wants us to understand is in light of all that God has done for you, God wants you to understand that there is reason to keep your chin up today. I know things get difficult. God is saying, man, they're going to get hard. They are hard. They may even get worse. But don't forget who is for you, church family. See, there's no other kind of confidence like the one that is grounded in God. If God is for you, who can be against you? It's not to say that you can have no adversaries. I know you and I have got them. We may have people who dislike us, maybe even hate us. Surely as Christians, there are people in our world who despise what we believe in. So it's not saying if God is for us, there's no possibility anybody can be against you. But what Paul is saying is if God is for you, there is no one against you who can ultimately prevail. And that revelation ought to cause our chins to get up and walk with a different kind of confidence about ourselves. It's the kind of confidence that hit Noah when God tells him to build a boat in a day and age where it hadn't rained yet. It's the kind of confidence that Moses had when he looked Pharaoh in the eye and said, let my people go. The nerve, the confidence. It's the kind of confidence that Deborah had when she took God's army, God's people into war when no one else would step up. It's the kind of confidence Gideon had with his feeble army of 300 going against thousands. It's the kind of confidence that God instills into a young David when he charges the great warrior Goliath. It's the confidence of Elisha when he looks over the mountaintops and tells God, asks God, God, let my servants see the armies that you have there. This is a confidence that comes when we know God is for us. It's what Daniel had when he opened his window to pray, knowing that the lion's den would be his next place. It's the confidence that that young teenage girl had 
when she was told that she would be with child. And she looked at the angel Gabriel and Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. Let his will be done. If God is for you, there's a different kind of confidence about us. It's not the kind of confidence that things won't ever be hard. Certainly take a page out of Mary's book. Imagine the next nine months of her life and the next nine years and 19 years. But church, if God is for you, you have every reason to keep your chin up because nothing can stand against you that will ultimately prevail. So what shall we say to these things, church? But God is for you. But there's more because if God is for you, what has God done for you? What basis do we then have confidence in him? Well, he goes on to say in verse 32, he, referring to God the Father, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So if God is for you, you should keep your chin up. But because God is for you, God spared no expense to save you. He spared no expense to save you. And that should cause your heart to bow before him. Just think about that. Paul says that he who did not spare his own son. Like God God withheld nothing in order to redeem us who had no way of having a right relationship with him. He would not even spare his one and only beloved son, church. What grace and mercy. And what Paul is calling to our minds, like we know Jesus died for us, but then he's like, how will he not also then graciously give us all things? Like if God gave us his son, the greatest thing, won't he give you lesser things? Is what Paul is saying. It's like you get the new phone that comes out, the iPhone, whatever, 75, where are we at now? I don't know. And the new phone, what could it do? You're like, man, this thing is faster than ever. You can, you can, make, you can film movies on your phone now. You can edit movies on your form, phone. I've heard of music artists who've recorded entire albums and edited them on their phones. You can do anything on your phone. But it's like getting that new phone and someone saying, hey, but can, does it make phone calls? It's like, if it can make a movie, surely it could make a phone call. If it could do the greater thing, isn't it obvious that it could do the lesser? It's like walking into that barber shop where you know you're about to get a real clean fade, fellas. And you know that barber puts the, puts the thing around your neck, that you get the powder around you. You know that when you get your fade, they're going to pull out the blade. You know what I'm talking about, guys. Don't pretend. And you're going to get that tight skin fade right here. You're going to get that aftershave. You're going to come out smelling great. But it's like, but will, will the barber comb my hair afterward? It's like, you kidding me? If he could do all those things, the greater, how much more will he do the lesser? What Paul's saying is this. If the father would not even spare his son in order to redeem you, can't he do the lesser things of graciously giving you everything that comes with being his child? I don't know if y'all heard me. Today I heard me. You heard me, right? Look, when we put our faith in Jesus, we are saved from our sins. Hallelujah. But if God can save you from our sins, can't he also give you eternal life? 
Can he also make you adopted into his family? Can he also provide for your daily bread? Can he also give you strength every morning? Can he also give you peace in the midst of anxiety? Like if God could do the greater, surely he could do the lesser. That ought to cause your heart to get bowed before him, church. God gave his son. He didn't spare him. He gave him. This is the Christmas message embedded in every page of Scripture. God gave his son, church. He would first give him to become a man. He would then give him to be raised in poverty in Nazareth. He would give him to walk in this life where he'd actually get hungry. He would give him to go tired. He would give him to be rejected by people. He would give him to be rejected by the people he created. People who would mock him. People who would betray him for 30 pieces of silver. The father gave his son and he kept giving and giving and giving his son. And finally gave him to a cross. Our God is generous beyond measure. And if he would not, if he did that, how would he not also graciously give us all things that accompany being in God's family? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. Won't he do the rest? See, if God is for you, you can keep your chin up. But because God is for you, he spared no expense to save you. That's not the only thing he did, though. Because we also see here in verse 33, because God is for you, he also won't condemn you even when you think you deserve it. That should cause your praises to raise up. Look what he says in verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed is interceding for us. Who can bring any charge against us? Like who, who is there to bring a kind of charge that could be sustained in the courtroom of God? if God is the one who ultimately gets the last word. When you think about it, who can bring any charge against us? Well, there's a lot of people who can bring a charge against us. In fact, the name Satan means accuser. And one of his great pleasures is to bring charges against us in God's courtroom. And Satan is pretty good at tracking your statistics. He's got the eye watch of your daily steps. He's got pie charts of your sin nature. He's got graphs of your broken trends. Satan knows what's going on, and he brings it into the courtroom of God as the accuser, mounting evidence upon evidence upon evidence of how you should be condemned. And if that weren't enough, there's other people in your life, people who maybe know that you are a Christian, and you're like, man, I know the old you. You think, you think, that, you think that went away? Or saying, hey, you think you're a Christian? I saw you blow up last week, you hypocrite. And the accusations keep mounting. And if those weren't enough in the accusations, we have our own self. Who perhaps on a daily basis looks in the mirror and says, man, God, I'm good for nothing. God, I say I worship you, but man, I just cursed 10 minutes ago. God, I said I want to walk in holiness, but I just lusted all day long. 
God, I said I want to be humble like Jesus, but I'm so arrogant in my heart, and you just feel so condemned by your sin. Surely we should be convicted, but when we feel condemned, that's a different thing. Who shall bring any charge? Well, Satan will do it gladly. Maybe your family members would do it happily. Maybe you do it consistently. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Well, what's the answer to that? It's God who justifies. What Paul is saying here is when in God's courtroom, the mounting evidence comes before his judge, this judge, our great God. And God's like, yes, these things are true, but you're forgetting something. You're forgetting that they deserve condemnation, but that they, there has been condemnation already. There has been punishment already, and the one who took their punishment was my son so that they can then receive his righteousness. You think you can condemn them, but I'm the one who justified them. I'm the one who declares them right. So if God is for you, God won't condemn you because he's declared you right in his sight because of Jesus. Church, that ought to make our praises raise. Like I want, I want to just really hone in here because I know there are some here are watching online or here in person. And this is starting maybe to make sense for the first time. That there is a real problem in our lives from the moment of our birth. Our sin has separated us from God. Like we got to understand That as good as you try to be, you're never good enough to earn perfection. Like God is holy. God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all, 1 John 1 tells us. And so if you are trying to earn God's love and affection by maybe being generous during Christmas or being kind on a different day or whatever it might be, you need to know that your goodness can't cancel out your sin. And so what happens is this really difficult reality. Because in Christ, there is no condemnation. But outside of Jesus, you actually stand condemned right now. And to make the scales much more urgent, you must know that if you've never put your faith in Jesus and lived for him, you are one breath away from eternal separation from God. That's condemnation. And Satan works actively to bring that about. Today, the invitation is for you to say, I believe in Jesus. I'm going to trust that he died taking the punishment for my sin so that I can be forgiven. And God, who did that, will graciously do all the rest that comes with it. That's how we enter into faith. See, there might be people who bring condemnation against you, but if you are a child of God, not one piece of evidence can be sustained. Not one. Paul also asks, who will condemn us? Christ Jesus is the one who died. He is raised. He's at the right hand of the Father, and he is interceding for us. So just as Satan tries to get the Father's ear, the Son has the ear of the Father saying, no, I'm here. I'm here, and the Father says, yes and amen. If God is for you, God does not condemn you. But church, there's more. There's more, because if God is for you, 
there's also nothing that can separate you from his love. And that should cause you to shout aloud. Look what Paul says here in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It's a great question. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? And then he gives this list. Shall tribulation? Man, we've gone through hardship, and there's nothing like hardship to make you sometimes wonder, man, God, are you still for me? How about distress? When you feel the pressure, that ever make you wonder, man, God, I'm having a hard time right now believing that you're for me. Persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Like when things start coming up and they're coming up hard against you, are you then tempted to think maybe God has abandoned me? Well, Paul says, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? There are a lot of things that will want to separate us. But remember, this is God's love for us and nothing will separate us from that. Paul quotes from Psalm 44. He says, for, this, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. It's like, man, every day is a day when I have a brush against life and death. Will this be what separates me from God? Well, he goes on to answer that question in verse 37. He says, no. No, that, 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 those things aren't going to separate you. Why? Because in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors. Like, to be a conqueror is one thing, Paul's like, but you're more than a conqueror. See, this conqueror status is not achieved by us, but is granted to us. Let me say that again, church, because I think some of y'all heard, but others didn't. See, they say we're more than a conqueror. This, this conqueror status is not achieved by us, but granted to us. You did not become a conqueror because you woke up today and defeated all your enemies. But you are a conqueror today because Jesus defeated all your enemies. And when you are in Jesus, you are with the conqueror one. You are with him. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him. Through him, through him, nothing will separate you when you are in him. My family and I, we, we love our Spotify premium. It just got canceled recently, though, because I didn't want to keep paying. We're, we're, we're debating. But one thing about Spotify premium, they, the way they, they pitch it to you is this. You ever go on an airplane and want to listen to your music, and you're like, ah, I don't have premium. But with premium... You can download the music and listen on the plane. Or when you're on the subway, you're on the blue line, and you're trying to listen, and then all of a sudden you lose connection. Like, uh, if you had premium, you'd be listening to downloaded music. You know how this goes, right? So you think, man, if I'm on an airplane enough, I need to have premium so I could download my music. See, the wild thing is Spotify is a great streaming service, but it's not effective when you're in the sky apart from having premium. You can't enjoy the music. See, because the problem on the airplane is that the music is not in your device. The music is outside of the device. But when the music is downloaded with premium, it gets into the device, so then the device can enjoy the music. You see, what Paul is saying here is that we are more than conquerors through Jesus. When we are in Jesus, we have that conqueror status. Yet outside of Jesus, there is no conquering. There is nothing to be enjoyed. 
So salvation premium is found when Jesus is inside of you and you won't enjoy that until you put your faith in him. And when you do that, in all things, you are more than conquerors. Conquerors against death, ultimately. Conqueror over sin. Paul says, for I am sure then that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, or things to come, nor powers, nor height, or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing will separate us. I find it interesting in this list. He goes back and forth between things that are in the spiritual realm and things that are here on earth. Death is a scary reality that all of us face. Only few will never die, those who are here when Jesus returns. But it seems to be the trend, church. By most statistics, you will die. Will death separate you from the love of God? If you're in Christ, it will not. He says neither death nor life, though, because for some of us, life is scarier than death. Will life separate you? Not if you're in Christ. What about angels? Rulers? Some might say, translate that as demons. What about things that are right now? What about things that are to come? What about powers? What about heights? What about depth? Well, Spotify Premium, there's no height that prevents you from listening. And when Christ is in you, there's no height that prevents you from being in him. There's no depth. There's no subway system that will separate you from him. There is nothing that will take you away from God's love because God's love is based on God's character because you never achieved it. He granted it to you. This is reason for confidence. Nothing will separate you from God's love. There's a lot of things that would separate me from loving God, but there's nothing that will separate God from loving me. I'm fragile, God is not. I get in a frenzy, God doesn't. I become forgetful, God doesn't. I get distracted, God doesn't. It's Christmas time, and that famous Christmas movie, Home Alone, as I saw someone put it, the Die Hard for Kids, tells about the McAllister family who woke up on Christmas morning to go on vacation. And they woke up late, and they're in a frenzy. And they rush to the airport. They get on the plane, and the, the mom is on the plane next to the dad. She's like, man, I feel like we forgot to do something. Did you turn off the lights? Yeah. Did you set the alarm system? Yeah. And they're like, man, something just feels off. And then she has that moment where she says that one word. Kevin, I know y'all out there. Kevin! She forgot her son at home. Frenzy separated her from her son. Then you got home alone, too. When they're back at the airport, and now Kevin gets on the wrong airplane, he gets up in New York. The craziness of the airport separated them. Look, church, if our salvation is dependent on our staying with God, we'd lose it. We'd be separated because we get confused, we get lost, we get discouraged, we get frenzied, we get busy, we become forgetful, we become sinful, we become idolatrous, but God's character remains the same, and he doesn't forget y'all. When you are downloaded in him, when you are in him, you are more than a conqueror. 
And that should cause your praises to raise. God is for you, church. So keep your chin up. God spared no expense to save you, church. So let your hearts bow. God won't condemn you. So let your praises raise. Nothing can separate you from God's love. And that should make you shout aloud. See, because God is for you, church, we can walk through this life no matter what comes our way, pandemic, diagnosis, racism, cancer, spiritual attack, insult, fear, failure, doubt, depression. And according to Romans 8, 31 to 39, those things won't separate you from God because God is for you. So church, we have a reason to keep your chin up, to keep your heart bowed, to get your praises raised, and to shout aloud. And it's in our God. So to answer Paul's rhetorical question in verse 31, and I need you to answer this nice and loud. If God is for us, who can be against us? Come on, y'all got to get quicker than this. Come on. Let's rewind that. So to answer Paul's rhetorical question in verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for you, who can be against you? So keep your chin up, church. Keep your heart bowed. Get your praises raised and shout aloud. Let's stand to our feet. Father, we come before you today. And Lord, we come with this climactic point of praise knowing that our salvation is secure through Jesus and through Jesus alone. Lord, no one can bring a charge that will be sustained. There's no accusation that will separate us. There's no struggle in this life that will pull us away because our eternal life is secure in Christ. So Lord, I pray that today we would leave with courage and strength, remembering that you, oh God, are in pursuit of us always. I pray for any who are here watching, live streaming, here in person, who don't know Christ, who have lingered in their rebellion or lingered in their resistance to you. I pray for faith today. I pray for salvation today. May today be the day of salvation. Oh Lord, do your work. We pray. Be glorified, we pray. And all of God's people, all of God's people, online and in person said, Amen. For your constant character, Lord, your constant love, your constant uh, compassion. Lord, where would we be without you? We praise you, God. God, this week, give us strength. I pray that the Christmas season would remind us of this love we just sang about. That remind us of this love that we just heard from your word. And God, that our affections would be such that just cause us to praise you and praise you and praise you, oh God. And so we lift this before you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, before we dismiss church family, a reminder to our Brook kids. Uh, parents, please get your kids to 
learn that dance, watch the Brook Kids videos. We want to see how those are going. If you got feedback, give it to us. But on December 14th, it's going to be a Monday evening. We're going to have a Zoom gathering just with the Brook Kids. We're going to record that dance and play that dance the following Sunday for everyone to see. That's going to be really cool. So we want those kids learning that dance. If you got questions, let us know. Uh, but be sure to do that. All right, church? And in the weeks to come, we're going to continue to gauge COVID, gauge our seating capacity. Uh, things change from week to week, evidently, right, church? So uh, we, will, we will just keep things uh, focused and really just trust that God's going to give us the wisdom from one week to the next. Well, I want to leave you with this passage, this blessing from Isaiah 41. Verse 10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God bless you, Brooke family. We'll see you all next week. You are dismissed.